Welcome to the UK Ed podcast from UK Ed magazine and UK Ed Chat. I'm Martin, and this week I'm in conversation with Jen Morris and Darren Leslie, talking about high-impact revision. Let's get into it. Hello, and welcome to the UK Ed Chat After Hours webinar. I'm Martin. Uh, I'm one of the people which makes uh, UK Ed Chat happen every week, and I'm also the uh, editor of the UK Ed magazine. So if you've got any interesting articles that you want to send my way, then please, uh, that would be fantastic. Tonight, we are discussing revision, and the way we've structured the discussion on Twitter was pretty much in two different ways. So the idea that revision can be used for um, almost like a summative uh, activity, so working towards exams and this kind of thing, but also very much as a, a formative assessment tool as well. So the idea that it's continuously going. And I've got two guests joining me today, and I'm going to, in a moment, ask them to do, introduce themselves. And um, without any further ado, if I can ask Darren, if you can introduce yourself to the UK EdChat community, please. Uh, yes, of course. Uh, I'm Darren Leslie. I'm a physical education teacher in Scotland. My Twitter handle is at DNLeslie. Uh, I also have a blog and a podcast, which is the Becoming Educated podcast, and you can find that on Apple and Spotify. And my blog is at www.becomingeducated.co.uk. And just to say that any links that we're mentioning within this uh, um, webinar, if you're watching live, um, then you should be able to find it in the show notes. If you're watching on social media, then if you just follow the link which accompanies this video, then you should be able to find all the things we're talking about. And Jen, if I can ask you to introduce yourself, please. Yep, I'm Jen Morris. I am a science teacher, lead practitioner at a secondary school um, in Manchester. Okay. Uh, sorry, Twitter handle. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Twitter handle is scienceteachtw1. So uh, that's my Twitter handle. Okay, super. And again, that should be in the show notes. So uh, please do go and uh, question these people further once um, you've watched the video. So let's jump straight in. So um, the first question we had during the Twitter chat was, what is your opinion of what revision is actually for? So Darren, can I start with you? What do you think that revision is actually for? What's the purpose of revision in the classroom and maybe beyond as well? Uh, for me, revision is an opportunity for children to retrieve knowledge from their long-term memory and be able to transfer that to their working memory. The more opportunities they get to do that, then the more the more likely they'll be able to retrieve that knowledge under pressure in exam situations. Uh, I think that revision should be something that we try and embed as a habit for young people. I think we, we miss a trick with that a lot of the times because a lot of children get to the senior phase especially probably the same in, in the English curriculum but in our curriculum when they get to the senior phase and they access what we have our national nationals and higher exams they they kind of we've got a, a big problem with like their mental health their anxiety their stress 
But if we could start embedding that earlier, then hopefully we can alleviate some of that because they'll feel more confident and comfortable in being able to retrieve the knowledge under pressure. Mm. Okay, some, some fantastic ideas about, um, as you say, about the mental health side of things, something which we didn't really cover within the chat itself. So that's certainly something that uh, we could touch on again later on. Uh, Jen, what about you? What do you see as being the purpose of um, revision? I think very similar to, to what Darren was saying, I think that retrieval is a big part of, of what revision is, retrieving that information from the long-term memory. I also sort of think of it as different, whether it's student-led or, or teacher-led, because the purpose of student-led revision is obviously to get those that bits of information out that's come from the long-term memory. Um, and I also think that our responsibility when we're teacher-led revising is to teach those children the strategies that they should be using that are most effective to be able to do that. And I think that obviously the purpose is for the same reason, because at the end, they need to have those skills, as Darren said, embedded so that they can easily just quickly get those, um, you know, get those memories out there. But also those children who maybe have missed long periods of school for whatever reason, we need to really be responsible for teaching those strategies to make sure that they're not at a massive disadvantage, because there are some situations, obviously, where students are not able to be in school. Um, so it's not just about that final end goal, but making sure that if they've missed time in between, that they can go back and, you know, revise content that they've learned and then hopefully link that to content they need to still to still focus on. Mm. OK, I really like the idea that you brought in the idea of um, uh, pepoples who have missed some time and perhaps mm. out of whatever reason. I mean, even one lesson um, yeah. that they're not attending, obviously, you can make a big difference in a sequence of lessons. So do you think that the skills to revise <clears throat> in a teacher-led situation is similar or transferable to when students are uh, learning independently and revising independently, perhaps at home, perhaps in another space? What do you think, Jen? I think that we should be teaching them the skills. We're really experts in this field. We know how to sort of get knowledge out of our children. We know through questioning the children ourselves. And what we need to do is to be able to teach them and empower them to be able to take those skills on board. So, you know, teaching those children how to formulate questions from big chunks of information, because it's something notoriously that they find very difficult. But we know that the testing effect is saying to us that they need to start answering questions constantly and testing them themselves, which is going to be the best kind of revision for them to improve the grades. So I think that both of those things should be very, very intricately linked. So what we're mirroring in classrooms, showing the, sh the children how to do these skills, we should then be encouraging those at home. So we should be saying, for example, if they're going to revise for a test, we might say to them, right, well, we'd like to see three pieces of evidence that you've used retrieval practice, flashcards and Cornell note taking, for example, um, you know, and encourage that and praise that as well to make sure that it is embedded. Mm, absolutely. Darren, do you have anything to add to that? No, I, I agree with what, what, what Jen said there. I think when we're, when we're teaching revision, we should be modelling um, the techniques used, like you said there, if it is Cornell note taking or if it's using flashcards and then how to use that with each other. Um, I've spent a bit of time recently teaching children on, on wee tips and tricks they could use and also teaching them how they can revise together because we have a, we have children that like to spend time together. So how can they use each other to question? So like Jen said, teaching them how to question each other on the on the content that they're trying to, to work through using va using various techniques and how they can how they can use their notes how they can use dual coding how they can use flashcards and i think by modeling that it then gives them the tools necessary 
when they do go home. It gives them confidence as well, doesn't it? It's, it's about having that confidence and those children might, who have never experienced that before, might genuinely want to revise and really not understand how. And I think that if we're empowering them and giving those confidence to go home and think, right, well, I've got this bit of information. I can do this with it, this with it or this with it. And again, you know, modelling that is going to really help them along. Mm-hmm. Okay, we've had a question in, um, which I see that Darren's already answered by text, which is fantastic. Um, but um, maybe we can just expand on this once I've read it out. So it's talking about um, what kind of uh, resources you use to help those students who miss lessons. And Darren, you responded about uh, using um, the virtual learning environment. And can you maybe expand on that? And maybe if I can ask the same afterwards uh, to Jen, how what kind of resources do you use for pupils who miss um, uh, lessons? What kind of resource you use? So Darren... Could you maybe expand on that for me? Yes, we use a, a virtual learning space. In a previous school, we used Google Classroom. Right now, we, we use Microsoft Office, Microsoft <laughs> Teams, and we, we put up um, teaching resources, so any kind of quest, uh, questions or um, question and answer templates or any kind of homework that has been issued or some PowerPoint presentations that help children which, which provide can, concrete examples and step-by-step instruction on how to complete answers so that if they do miss any work they can then look at that because it's it, it mirrors what we do in class so if we are teaching a topic in class and the content where we do a, an I do we do you do I would then kind of store that and then put that in the virtual learning space or if, if I'm using a writing frame I'll store that and put that on the virtual learning space so children can access it so if they do miss a series of lessons for whatever reason that is we can refer them to that I do have one colleague who is is very very good at using YouTube where he'll kind of talk over his presentations and the children just scan a QR code so you've been off for a few days go scan that QR code and I've seen that work I don't do that myself because I'm, I'm not that confident with with using that but I have seen that work quite successfully okay fantastic um, and perhaps if you can share that YouTube channel uh, we'll put it into the show notes as well that'd be fantastic so Jen what would you like to add so I'm a, a real big fan of using visualizers, which is obviously easy when you're a classroom based subject. So a lot of the time what I'll have is like a mock exercise book and I do a lot of modeling in there, especially through exam questions, etc. So some of the, the things that I'll do when children have missed lessons is to photocopy that mock exam book and then supplement that with some practice in whichever sort of questions we've been answering or maybe some extra work to go along with that um, just to extend their knowledge in that subject but I find that um, obviously it's better than it photocopying an exercise book because I know that the quality is going to definitely be 100% and I can also add like questions if I want to stretch that student particularly or you know if they've missed a stretch of lessons then it just saves them time and they can actually focus on practice rather than the copying or everything else that they might need to do to catch up. Hmm. So we've touched on some of this already but what kind of um, revision skills, techniques, um, practices could you use or do you use in your classroom which can help perhaps scaffold a lesson, um, perhaps scaffold a particular sequence of lessons, but very much support the, lang- uh, the, the learning which is happening within the classroom at that time, um, not about tests particularly. So actually supporting the learning which is happening in the classroom. Jen, if I can maybe come to you first. Yeah, um, I, um, I've just started a new school actually in January and one of the things that I'm really pushing there is retrieval practice um, and linking that with dual coding. So 
I've, there, there were quite a lot of gaps in the learning uh, for year 11 and year 10, which obviously I've noticed straight away. So my idea of trying to get them supported in lessons is really based around a lot of retrieval. Um, and what I've tried to do is to give them maybe a picture, depending on the subject. And um, I've used a couple of I teach boys um, no gold starters just lately, uh, like just pictures of states of matter. And I've got the children to remember absolutely everything that they can about that. And that really scaffolds the lesson because there's quite a few, the obviously desks are quite close together. And when they speak to each other, oh, have you got this? Have you got that? And as part of that starter, I'll say to them, you know, turn around to the person behind you and see what they've got that you haven't. There's a retrieval um, practice technique that's called cops and robbers. So there's a sheet and they write things down in the cops column and they go and rob it off other people. So again, that's quite nice when you initially start with a class as well as I've just done. It's quite nice to get the, the you know, the, the culture of the room sorted straight away. So I'm using a lot of that to support my lessons at the moment. And especially when I know that I've taught something new or I'm going to teach something new, sorry, that relates quite heavily on something else. So I've just started um, chemical equations, for example, and they need to know a lot about bonding. So I've done quite a lot of retrievable practice on bonding to be able to support this unit that I'm doing now. And it seems to be working. It's hard to get them into the habit of it, but they are sort of getting into this culture now, which they come in and they know that they're going to have some form of retrieval. And I think that sort of revision is working really well for those children. Mm. And Darren, what about you? What kind of um, no. practices do you use in your classroom to scaffold and to look, re reflect and look back on? Yeah, I use it learning. Just like Jane, I, I do use some retrieval practice. A lot of our of our work in in physical education in the senior phase, and especially in our national five and higher course, it, it's very it's depth of writing. So we use a lot of writing frames and sentence starters. I, I recently kind of adopted a. I read a great post on Doug Limov's field notes about trying to reword sentence starters that gets children to think a little bit more rather than giving the sentence a starter, you reframe it and so that it makes them actually think about what they're going to put. And I think that's adding a, a concept of challenge because we give them that on our, on our virtual learning resource and we give them that away for them because there is a certain style of writing that you need to, to access the marks in, in, our, in our exams based on every exam is different in Scotland with their, their expectation of evaluation or description or tasks throughout get them to create it because I, I think that the, the act of creating the flashcard also helps them kind of transfer that to memory and then when they're asked that at a later date they then can, they're able to retrieve that and I base a lot of my revision on that because some of it some of the stuff you just need to know rather than rather than and, also be able to apply it. So if you if you know it, you're able to apply it in your writing. So the combination of the of the writing frames, the retrieval and the and the use of flashcards, it features quite heavily in my practice. Okay. Uh, just to read a comment which has just come in. So um, Martin, thank you very much for your comment. Um, so uh, he talks about using key term maps for units. So the idea of having um, perhaps all, all the vocabulary needed and key concepts which are um, needed for a particular topics. Um, do either of you uh, use those within your subjects uh, or anything similar? So um, perhaps like a summary sheet of some sort. Uh, Jen, do you use anything like that? Um, I've used knowledge organisers, which can be, I mean, there's lots of different ways to do it, but I have a knowledge organiser for every unit that we have that has key vocabulary or something that is usually um, on the exam, for example, so something that is key, or if it is on the exam, is worth quite a lot of marks. So they're just little A5 sheets that go at the start of each unit. 
Um, and obviously their kind of working documents as time goes on because of obviously the reforms that have happened um, in recent years. It's it's just good to sort of every time we have an exam be able to adapt what we think obviously is on there. Um, we also have summary sheets for the command words on from AQA because the literacy now for science is being uh, measured by the use of command words and so that's another thing that I would use like in a, a summary term and that really works as well for the children because they can just flick back to it um, so I think that reduces the cognitive load on them as well which is which is good because it allows them to think a bit more deeply as well. Mm. And Darren what about you? No, I'm, can I hit what, what Jim was saying there we've, the command words feature heavily on on our on our exams that we have we use placemats that kind of flesh out the command words for them and what's expected under each one like I was referencing earlier on and that again it helps the children frame their questions that their responses sorry we also um kind of give the children at the start of the year a, a, a kind of a map of key terms I mean we don't have many key terms but it's able it allows them to be able to just access that every now and again so if we if i ask a question and ask them to say it again but say it better they can quickly look look at that because i get that out in front of them and they can go right i can add that terminology i can add that words and then it just it just helps them provide better answers and if we're doing a and I do, we, we do, you do, when we get to the wee bit, they're able to just look at that that's in front of them and it, it builds up their confidence and 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 using the key terms that they then need to apply when they get to the examination phase. It's so important, that confidence as well. I, I really, I love those I do, we do, you do. Um, and I, I just love the fact that they can really build on that and you can watch the confidence grow, even in one lesson, just on one particular thing. I really enjoy those activities. Do you have any other kind of activities that you use to build confidence specifically um, surrounding revision practice? Jen, do you have any uh, other? <laughs> um, I think because what I'm trying to do at the moment, we have um, we have organised revision on a Monday for um, year 11. So this at the moment is year 11 specific. But what we've decided to do is even though we've allocated topics, to go over. What we've decided to do is each week teach a very specific skill, although not necessarily the, you know, a different one because we want to make sure that it's embedded. However, we um, started off with self-quizzing last week. So this was obviously the first time we'd done it and we got the children to fold sheets of paper in half and write questions and answers and then obviously fold it back over, try and answer their own questions from memory, then swap over. And we're trying to encourage, as you said before, Darren, about involving each other um, there's quite a lot of sets of twins in this year 11 for some reason and I was saying this at parents evening that they need to use each other as a resource um, you know and, and obviously teaching them those skills as I've said before is really helping them that with their confidence. I've done um, today I did a, a walking talking mock so I had the whole of year 11 and I actually modelled all of the thinking on uh, a few exam questions that were really about working scientifically and the students initially were like absolutely horrified that they were going to have to sit in the hall for two hours and um, they were really quite negative coming in and then when they left um, they were just blown away by the fact that they'd got so much out of it which was really nice and so many of the children took the time out to say thank you and tell me that they were they'd really taken something from it that it seems like it's had a really big impact so I think that's going to improve the confidence for the for the mocks next week as well. So um, you mentioned about um, they were horrified to go into a particular place also in that case. Um, do you feel that the, the the environment where the revision is happening, Darren, if I can ask you first, um, plays a, a part in perhaps how effective the revision is 
and um, perhaps also ease of getting resources? What do you think? I, th I think the, the environment's everything. I um, speak to parents about kind of how they can help. I think a lot of parents are keen on how they can help their children revise. And, you know, there was a, I interviewed Bradley Bush of Inner Drive for, for my podcast. And he, in his book, The Science of Learning, there's a great study there about how if children who listen to music with lyrics compared to children who listen to no music, the children who listen to no music attained up to 60% more. So I'm using that as evidence to say, well, when your child's revising, do they have a quiet space? Is there no music? Can you take their mobile phone off them? And just encourage them to do it in small chunks. I said on the on the on Twitter in the UK chat, if, if we, after been trying to get the children to understand the idea of spacing and interleaving, you know, can they can they study for little and often throughout the year so that the the knowledge builds up and help and asking parents to help? Can you give them a quiet space, a, a, a big desk if you can? I mean, even just a small desk, depending on where you live and what what your dynamic is. I mean, a lot of our children are are in big families and and smaller likes of, like a housing. So, can you give them the kitchen table for an hour? Can you give them it for half an hour and then can you make sure that the noise is kept down? So get, trying to get, kind of inform our parent body and also inform the children, you know, this is really important. It's really important that you, you don't check your phone every five minutes, that you don't put on um, your Beyonce album. It's important that you just focus on, on what, what you've got, what you've got in front of you and to learn. And if you can build that habit over time, you'll be a more successful learner. Because a lot of the children in, in my school, they get to, as I said, they get to the senior phase. They get to uh, S four, which I don't know what I don't know what the equivalent will be in England year ten, maybe. Um, and they get there, they've got their first exams coming up, and they just panic. Whereas if we can try and embed that skills earlier and, and, and take the panic away so that it's more comfortable for them, that that would that would be exactly what they need. Okay, uh, on a similar note, uh, perhaps, um, so not just the learning environment, but perhaps the time of day or a particular um, uh, time within uh, a lesson or a particular time uh, within um, uh, a session, maybe at home in their homework schedule. Do you think that um, there's an optimal time to be able to uh, revise? Jen, what do you think? I'm not really sure that there is, that you can blanket to every child, to be honest. I think that depending on whether you can wake up 10 minutes earlier and do a bit of a, you know, bit of revision before you go to school or whether you spend a bit of time in the evening. Lots of people are different in the time that they've got the most concentration, you know, night owls and early birds, etc. I think that, you know, when we're thinking about time in a lesson as well, that can be really dynamic because I don't think that I think sometimes you can even end up doing something in terms of revision and teaching them a skill of revision um, just kind of off the cuff because you've reacted to something that you've realised you found a gap for. So I don't think there's any set time to be able to do it in the short term. I do, however, think that we should be doing it a lot earlier in the long term. So as you alluded to earlier, Darren, I, I do think we need to make sure that we are not just thinking, oh my gosh, it's panic stations, it's year 11. We need to look at what year seven are doing and build their confidence, you know, teach them one skill in year seven and really embed it, teach them another in year eight, really embed it, carry on all the way up to, to year 11. They'll have a whole host of things that they can do very well. And not only that, 
it's going to have led to success in their tests all the way through school. And we all know that success is the biggest internal motivator. So that's then going to push them on to want to do even better because they feel like they're succeeding. And I think that that's probably with engagement and disengagement in subjects that, you know, are notoriously hard like science. I think this is where we're going to be able to sort of crack that if we can really embed those skills early on and improve that confidence. And that's going to be half of a battle won by the time we get to key stage four. Mm, absolutely. Darren, do you have anything to add? No, I'm the same sentiment that Jen was saying there. I think it's really difficult to, to kind of push a number a number or a time on children because many of our children have younger siblings or older siblings or need to help their their mums their moms and dads with the tea, with the ironing and so on. So it, it's whenever whenever's best for them in, in terms of a time. But as I said earlier, I think embedding the skills is exactly what what Jen was saying there, you know, really embed one in, in, in year one, really embed one in the next year and another one in the next year so that they have the tools so that when they start their, their courses in the senior phase, they can just get straight to learning all the way through. And then it, by the time you get to exams, it's it's just just easy. It's just a checkpoint for you just to, just to hit. You get your grades and then you if you do that, do that, we do prelims. I don't know what you if what if you call them prelims as well. But when you get to prelims, I always like to say, well, that's where you are now, and you've got a B. You're going to get an A by the time we get there because we'll be embedded that habit. But if the children are panicking and not not do well, and they're like you were saying about reaction, not doing well on their prelims, and we haven't embedded that skills, we've got like a, a three month period to change that, and that's just not long enough. Mm. Uh, and uh, the final question uh, for you uh, first, Darren: um, What would be your top tip? Perhaps uh, one or two top tips that you'd like to uh, Im embed in your own classroom um, to share with uh, the UK chat community, and perhaps um, some interesting skills which uh, you've learnt in your own classroom to pass on to teachers who may want to use it in their own classroom? Um, for me, I think um, really embedding space retrieval practice into your, to your do now activity. You know, always going back through, maybe having, if you've got 10 questions, having five in your current topic, but the, the other five are made up of topics previously and, and that'll help children access knowledge and have to think about knowledge they've already got and retrieve that. And then using that also in your, in your homework. So maybe having a couple of new new questions where they have to apply knowledge that they're currently learning, but also questions where they have to think back to, to learning. I'd also uh, like to encourage children to, to that idea of spacing and interleaving where they might, if they've got five days a week and you're going to revise for a one hour every night, I mean, I don't think you should be encouraging children to revise any more than that because they, they should be able to socialise and be with their family and be with their friends. But if they can they finish school at half past three, if they can use half past four at half past five to have their dinner, then the night's their own. But in that half in that hour, they've revised for two subjects and they've revised key topics with, with key skills that you've modelled as a teacher in the classroom that they can apply. And also, if you've informed the parents of how to do that and how they can help then if you do that and embed the habits, I think revision is a lot of habits because we have an attainment gap in Scotland that is quite wide and I mean, it's it's poverty related and it's support related and it's all the same. But if we can close that by, by just educating and informing, and I think a school has a responsibility to embed those revision skills. I mean, we chat a lot of that in our school because children enter S1, S2, S3 and then enter the senior phase, but they've not been challenged for three years. And then challenge hits them in S4 and it's like, wow, 
Whereas we should be challenging them right the way down. It should be right from the start. And that, that's definitely advice I would give to, to any school. If we can put a bit of pressure on when they get to year one, or year seven, sorry, in England or S1 in, S1 in Scotland, but do it slowly and embed the skills so that it's not a surprise when they get to the senior phase and have and are hit with exams. And that would that would lower the the stress and anxiety our children would feel, and it would they would just feel more confident going into exams. And I would love all my children to just get to exam and before they're going in, they go, "Mr. Leslie, sir, I'm going to nail this today." I would love that. Yeah. Absolutely. And Jen, what would um, your top tips be? I think obviously echoing the things that Javin has said, um, I think making sure that we are not just putting that massive pressure on them in year 11 and that we're really, really embedding things early on. Um, you know, I think as well that what we should be doing is talking between departments and different subjects, because I think that when we're embedding those skills, we all need to be singing from the same hymn sheet and we need to be doing it in the same way. So the children need to get a really consistent approach to how they're learning to revise so that we're able to then, you know, empower them and make sure that they're going to be able to do that correctly. So I think that, um, you know, in terms of empowering the students, we've got to make sure that the skills are all consistent, that they're not getting 25 different things from different places. Um, and I think in, in lessons, they just need to be uh, really immersed in it. And I'm finding at the moment, I don't think that the students that I've got were really experienced in retrieval and even low stakes quizzing. So I was putting questions on the board and the children were just looking at me and looking at me and then they were saying I don't want to get it wrong I'm just going to wait till you go through it and, and I was saying to them you know and this culture of it being okay to be wrong is what I'm trying to really embed because the more that they practice this the more that they see that nothing bad is going to happen when they've got to cross it out and correct it in a different color in the book um, the more that they get used to that sort of lack of caring about the failure so much in the lessons and then they get used to that that retrieval and the other thing that I've, I've noted as well, because, um, you know, the retrieval is the thing that I'm focusing on at the moment in terms of revision, is to give them the opportunity for success. So I try very hard at the beginning to not allow them to look at any notes or have the revision guides or anything with them. However, I do give them the opportunity with maybe two minute period at the end of the, the due now or whenever the period is in the lesson. I'll give them that opportunity to, to find some information so that the, there are not children that are sat there day in, day out getting switched off because they don't know anything and they've you know their book is full of red pen and so they then get the chance to at least answer maybe three out of six questions in that last two minutes so that's another another tip you know don't don't do it to the point where the children don't have any success because it will just switch them off you know mix it up as well and make sure that they're doing different things all the time just a reminder uh, for people watching where they can find you on twitter if they want to follow up anything that you've said jen uh, where can they find you I'm at Science Teach TW1. Okay, and Darren, where can people find you? Hey, I'm at DN Leslie. Okay, and I've been Martin. You can find out more from me at ICT Magic on Twitter. Uh, if you want to find out more about what UK EdChat is up to, just simply uh, check us out on Twitter or go to uh, ukedchat.com to find out all the things that we're doing there to help the teacher community. So only um leaves me to say thank you ever so much for joining us tonight no problem thank you thank and you um uh, i hope you've enjoyed watching and goodbye huge thanks to jen morris and darren leslie for giving their insights into how revision works in their own classrooms i hope you enjoyed it 
And if you would like to get involved in one of our webinars, please get in touch. You can do so via email, writing to podcast at ukedchat.com or contact me on Twitter via at ICT Magic or at UK Ed Chat. Thanks very much for listening and we'll see you next time.